Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 332 with University of Phoenix's Doris Savron. This episode is sponsored by University of Phoenix, and fun backstory there, their agency approached me looking to get the word out, and it was my idea to have them sponsor a full interview so we can get some richer insight than you get from a quick 60-second spot. Fast forward, everyone dug the idea, collaboration commenced, and away we went. You know what they say, bros disclose. Bonus points for you if you message me with the source of that reference. So you'll learn one. Differences between certificate and degree programs. Two, key trends on evolving fields with interesting opportunities. And three, pro tips for finishing courses you start and retaining that knowledge. So if you'd like to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F332. Now here's Doris's story. Doris Savron is Executive Dean of the College of Health Professions, College of Education, and College of Humanities and Sciences at University of Phoenix. Her career spans 20 years in healthcare, information technology, and academia. Prior to joining the university, Savron spent 10 years in leadership roles in healthcare operations, rehabilitation services, and information technology consulting. She holds a Master of Business Administration from Cleveland State University and is completing her doctorate in health administration from University of Phoenix. Here is Doris. Doris, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, I'm excited to get into this. And, and I understand something that really excites you are sports and that you've been to the World Series, the Final Four, Wimbledon, and more of the, the epic grand championship finals to come. What's the backstory here? So I've always grown up loving sports. I've played sports in high school and had actually had an opportunity to play in college and turned it down because I wanted a really oh, cool. true college experience. But I love the competition and the feel of the energy and the buzz. So I have favorite teams. So I try to attend those games. But any of those final matches are always exciting, regardless of who's playing. It is. I get just a kick out of just extraordinary excellence in, in any field that I can appreciate. And I'm not a hardcore sports lover, but but when I just see something amazing that a human being has done, you, you can't help but go, wow, look at that. Yep. And mine and my favorite is just the never quit attitude, like the constant just pushing. So you see that in those final games because everything's on the line. And so you just see people at their peak performance. It's really exciting. Oh, well, peak performance is, is what we love here. So, and you help people get there uh, with the University of Phoenix. Can you orient us a little bit? So, so what is your role there? So I serve as the executive dean of three colleges, the College of Health Professions, Education, and then Humanities and Sciences. So ultimately, my team and I are responsible for designing the different courses, um, certificates, degree programs that our industry leaders are telling us they need and want. Oh, that's cool. Well, that sounds like a large span of responsibility. It is. Never a dull moment. <laughs> oh, certainly. Well, well, could you maybe orient us a little bit to see sort of you know what, what could be possible? Maybe a, a cool career or story or transformation or, or a big difference that emerged when someone you know, went ahead and said, you know what, I'm going to go pursue a certificate or, or a degree of sorts and, and, and kind of what that meant or, or the difference it made for them. Sure. One that actually immediately comes to mind is um, a young woman had started in one of our degree programs, finished her master's of education in administration and supervision with our online format. Um, she then partnered up with somebody else who also attended University of Phoenix, and they 
created or opened a tuition-free charter school that was specifically focused on disadvantaged kindergartners through second graders. And so they've been recognized for that work um, in multiple ways, um, including Forbes 30 Under 30, and then they continue to serve their community. So they're making a huge difference, not just in what they've done with that school, but then how they engage and participate in the community. Oh, that is cool. All right. Well, so I, I want to first, Andy, just get some terminology good and clear here. So we talked about certificates and degree programs. What are the differences and the ins and outs of what constitutes each? So time is probably the biggest difference. Certificates really are focused on a specific area. Um, For example, billing and coding is a specific area of healthcare, where degree programs are wider and more encompassing. So a healthcare administration degree covers not just the billing and coding and understanding patient needs, but it could cover finance and leadership and management. So they're more encompassing. They take a lot longer because there's more courses you have to take. They're longer credits. And it allows you to do multiple things in that industry where a certificate really zeroes somebody into a specific track. Information technology is another example where things move so quickly that somebody who has a degree might have to continue to specialize as um, technology changes. So there are certificates available like in cybersecurity. So instead of going back and getting another degree, you go back and get a specialization or certificate in a specific, uh, specific area. Okay, well, that sounds that sounds pretty handy. And it sounds like there's a, a specialization there in terms of this certificate will kind of immediately, potentially qualify you for a whole bunch of roles that, that are need people to do precisely that. Yeah, so they're... They, Depending on the certificate you choose, it'll tell you which track or what's available to you. There's some lower level entry level certificates that get you started in a particular field, like billing and coding to get somebody started in healthcare that maybe hasn't had a job, a professional job yet or hasn't been in healthcare. And then you've got some of the more advanced, even post graduate certificates, which get you specialized at a higher level in a specific space. So we have um, post-grad certificates in informatics, which really somebody who's already working in the healthcare field is now going to specialize in that data analytics and looking at information and patient trends to determine how do we do better. Okay, gotcha. Well, and then also when it comes to the the online or in-classroom story, uh, could you give a little bit of perspective on you know, I guess maybe the, the primary pros and cons, or, or if someone was, was trying to make that call, because I see it frequently. It's like, oh, you know, I've got a job right now. Do I want to exit for a, a timeout to, to go to school or should I try the online thing? You know, what might be some perspective to put that person in good shape to make a great decision? So first thing, when choosing between a physical campus or online, you want to look at lifestyle and schedules. You've already kind of referred to that if I'm working or I have children and they've got sports activities after school. Like, what is my availability? A lot of times, if they want to attend a physical campus, they have to go a specific night for a longer period of time on that night all the time. And so that may, their schedule may not allow for that. Um, Luckily, they could do that after work hours, too, because there are now programs that are offered in a variety of fashions, even on campus. But online allows you to do it from any location, as long as you have an internet connection and a device that allows you to connect to the classroom. So you could do it at night at home when kids are in bed. You could do it on the weekends. If you travel a lot for your job, you could do it while you're waiting for a flight delay or even on the plane that has internet access. So you're turning unproductive time into productive time a lot of times in that situation. So it's really trying to understand what somebody's trying to accomplish and what their schedule is like that really dictates what's best for them in choosing between online or a campus. And are there some some cons on the online side? Frankly, I've taught in both and there's benefits to both. It's really dependent on somebody's lifestyle. Obviously, online, you have to be more 
you have to be more prepared in creating a schedule because you don't have somebody there physically in front of you saying, hey, this is what we need. You get a, you get a syllabus, you know what your deadline dates are, and then you go deliver. You still interact with faculty members online and classmates, but it's a little bit different when you're behind a screen versus when you're in front of a person on that accountability factor. So you have to be pretty self-driven and manage your schedule well to um, succeed in online. Yeah, I'd love to get some pro tips there. You know, when it comes to to doing so, what are, are some of the, the best practices or, or habits or, or things you've heard students do that, that really enabled them to to successfully complete and, and go the distance uh, and, and find that sort of self-drive and, and accountability within? So the biggest thing is finding an area that they're really interested in, right? So somebody wants to explore where's a job growing, what industry, but then they have to look at what their passion and interests are and align those two. But then the second piece is, and this is probably the key and most important thing to do is really create a schedule and a plan. And I we often tell students, hey, if you have a family that is counting on you for different parts of your day, make sure you sit down with the family and create a plan of what nights you'll do your schoolwork, what days of the week you'll do your schoolwork, and then create a plan and a commitment to that. And when you have a supportive group of people helping you along, that actually helps with success too. It also helps with accountability. We've often found our students saying, oh yeah, um, I got reminded by my kids that I needed to get my homework time in. Um, So it helps sharing what you're trying to accomplish with other family members and friends. Um, The schedule is important, not trying to do everything in one setting. We've had, you know, in some instances where somebody's trying to cram everything in on a weekend and that becomes overwhelming because then you feel like you have no balance. So if you chunk it up and do a little bit at a time, then that leads to more success over time. And people can start to see those accomplishments. You can check something off a list, which keeps them motivated. Well, and so then thinking about different people and their lifestyles and and how things fit, you know, I'd love to get your view in terms of you've been around, you've seen a lot of, a lot of students do a, a lot of programs. Who, who seems to be the, the kinds of candidates that just are fantastic. They're, they're rocking and rolling and, and the, the online certificate or degree program is just the thing that is, is perfect for them versus, you know, maybe a, another segment that this isn't quite the perfect thing for them. Well, we've definitely, I've seen um, just from my teaching experience that there's some students that are just intimidated about the whole factor of going back to school and then trying to understand how they learn best. Some people do better with the face-to-face interaction and visually seeing things. But with technology today, you could also get that in an online environment. But it goes back to that. Are you committed to what you want to do? Do you know what you want to do? And then have you created the plan? Um, So you do tend to see people that are busier and have more obligations in their work life tend to be successful online because they're already managing multiple activities and have learned how to prioritize really well. You just have some people just prefer the face-to-face interaction. And even with the technology and what's available online, still would prefer being in a classroom space with somebody just that one day a week and getting the bulk of what they need that day. um, And their schedule allows for it. So those individuals really do need some of that, um, more of that interaction. But we've seen all types of learning styles and experience levels do really well online. It's the commitment and the time and the schedule and putting the work in that really determines how successful they are. I hear you there. I'm intrigued when you talk about the technology. I mean, sort of what's what's hip and cool and new. I remember, I remember back in my day, you know, going back in time, I remember we had, I think it was Blackboard was the platform. And I'm thinking that's like over a decade ago. There wasn't a whole lot to it. I guess you could submit, you know, quizzes and and documents and have a little chat window. But like, what what's the the cutting edge cool stuff you you got going these days? 
So there's a lot of technology that is available even outside the classroom. So we have students that work together on teams. We have space for them within the um, in the platform to work and engage with each other, create their profile, share pictures. But they could also use their phones and the technology they have already to FaceTime and do their meetings virtually so that they're seeing each other in um, real-time space. And a lot of those tools are available out there already to students based on the technology they already own. So we see them communicating outside the class quite often um, and trying to connect and really put that uh, personal touch to their interactions. That is cool. You know, I remember one of the, my the favorite tools I discovered back in the day. It was called Twiddla, and uh, T W I D D L A, and it was just a, a shared whiteboard application, which it was kind of hard to find. Actually, I looked at many options, and so we found it, and, and that was uh, pretty cool. And when I'm trying to explain like some some math concepts or, or working with a client on in, in that kind of a way, having that visual piece is good. Do you have any any cool proprietary stuff that's like, hey, you know, on our platform, you can do this? We actually use a lot of what's already off the shelf because it's easier for students who already know that material. So it's a slower ramp up time. Um, so we use tools like, you know, Office 365 and the group settings and things that they could do and share documents virtually because it's already available to them um, and part of the classroom. So they're also getting better at leveraging that technology because they're now using it seamlessly to collaborate and communicate with each other virtually. And in work environments today, you know, there are a lot of people working from home, there's um, dispersed teams. And so you, that's a, it's a different way to work with somebody than just being able to sit down in front of them and talk. And so we're trying to make sure we're also using the tools that the employers are using out there so that they're actually getting better even at leveraging that and becoming more efficient with those tools that way. All right. Great. Well, maybe I'd like to zoom out a little bit and, and and think about sort of sort of fundamentally the benefits associated with going after an online certificate or or degree program. You know, I, I think some motivated learners who have natural curiosity and listen to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, like, well, yeah, you know, I can I can learn this stuff a, a lot of ways. Is sort of what's the the magic or, or the benefit or, or the incremental goodness one gets when they, they go for a full-blown online certificate or degree? Well, we know we all know how much industry is changing. I mean, we've looked at what's happened in healthcare over the last three to five years. Um, even somebody who's been in the industry eight to 10 years um, finds themselves... I mean, for example, nurses never had to use technology before. Today, they actually take in all the patient information and how they engage with the patient. A lot of them use iPads and um, laptops to capture the information. That takes a different level of working and interacting so that you don't lose the human factor of how you engage with the patient, but you still leverage the efficiency of the equipment. So we try to teach them on how to embed that into the work that they do. So upskilling and staying ahead of what employers want is extremely important. It it allows you to differentiate and you don't wait until it already happens because then you're behind the eight ball. So anytime you can differentiate yourself with a certificate, it allows you to get a leg up on everyone else who's looking for some of the same opportunities. But just the opportunity to learn and interact with other people, for example, in an online format, there are people across the country that are in those classrooms. And so you're learning also from their experiences and how they've gotten to a certain um, career path. And so that part of the learning, which is not necessarily directly tied to curriculum, is also a value add because you're learning from other people's perspectives and appreciating the differences and how that could all create synergy. Yeah, that's cool. So we got the, the community, the human, the real world element and experience sharing and, and getting that element as well as the differentiation because, well, I guess it, it's sort of hard to put on a resume. I watched 30 YouTube videos about this topic. And it was like, 
I actually never seen that on a resume and, and maybe, maybe it would look good. Maybe it would be like, well, okay. <laughs> I don't, it doesn't maybe have as much of a, of a punch, you know, as something official. And, and so I'd like to get your take on that when it comes to, um, you know, maybe it's like perception or from the employer uh, value perspective on the, uh, on, say, let's just say the brand, uh, University of Phoenix, because, you know, I, I'm thinking in, in, in some ways, I think there are some industries that are, are kind of concerned with, you know, pedigree in the sense of, oh, you're not at a top 20 business school. Well, then move along. And, and others, I think maybe, would, would find that favorable. Like, awesome. University of Phoenix, you're hustling. You're, you're working hard. You're, you're a self-starter. You're, you're, you're going, going after it. So what are maybe some trends you've seen in terms of industries or employers who, who just think, yes, I, I love this brand and this, this stamp that I'm seeing on your resume? Employers have multiple locations. So when they have to quickly upskill or find a way to get people ramped up, we have the capabilities of being able to do that pretty quickly because we already do that in in an environment that allows you to do that no matter where somebody's sitting. So for us, it's really, it's critical for us to understand what employers want. So we spend a lot of time listening to employers um, and then we design curriculum and student learning outcomes that align to that so that we can measure to make sure that students are getting that component of what they need. In addition, we, in every one of our areas, there are um, professional associations in those industries and specific specializations might have even industry exams where somebody could actually say, here's the credential I've got. I've passed the test. Um, We try to, in those circumstances, align our curriculum and content to those specific expectations so that we know that they're getting that level of exposure to the content and then they could go sit for that exam externally um, as well. So it gives them another differentiator. So for us, it's critical to pay attention to what employers are saying, regardless of the industry. Um, We've done a lot in our healthcare partnerships where we've actually run classes on those employer sites so that their employees after work could just go downstairs, attend a class, and um, it allows them to quickly then um, ramp up to a specific skill set that they need to move their specific organization forward. Oh, cool. Well, so I'm curious a little bit about some of the trends here. You know, we we made some reference to to healthcare, to, you know, cybersecurity or, or IT things. Information technology, specifically cybersecurity space, because of, I mean, I'm sure you've seen it, issues with um, systems being hacked into or people's information being taken. So there's opportunities in really understanding, well, how do you set up an infrastructure to protect people's privacy um, in those organizations? And so there's some specializations there or certificates there and even degree programs there that would um, lend um, people to be able to go into those jobs. We've seen even with education, there are some markets and areas that have shortages of teachers. And so there's some states, that's an opportunity area as well. Um, and then anything around behavioral sciences, mental health um, is also some um, trends we're seeing that um, have a need for uh, more people that are prepared to do the jobs. That's interesting. So behavioral sciences and mental health. So I guess I'm thinking of, you know, full-blown therapists or, you know. Counseling. Yeah, counselors, counseling. counseling. Um, there's a variety of specialties in that area, but there's family counseling, there's um, school counseling. Um, so you could do that level. Those usually require advanced degrees and um, some practice hours as part of their degree time. But we all see what's happening with the pressures of living in today's world. So there's um, a higher need to be able to have people to help people understand how to cope in challenging circumstances. So we've seen some pickup there as well. Okay, cool. And so I guess I'm also thinking if folks are interested in, in this kind of, uh, 
an opportunity and, and they're looking at the online path, you know, so University of Phoenix is, is one option. You know, what, what are some other tips or criteria you might recommend in, in terms of, of folks checking out their options and, and vetting and determining, uh, oh, this is, a, this is a good program versus one that um, maybe I'll pass on? Well, first, um, they want to make sure they understand what other support services might be offered outside the classroom. You know, are you assigned a specific counselor that can help you walk through your program so that you're meeting all the criteria? Do you have potential to do tutoring and workshop? What's your ability to be able to engage and interact with faculty? So those are all important parts of um, both inside and outside classroom support that's important. Um, not all programs are offered 100% online, so they'd really want to take a look at the program area that they're interested in and see if the entire program's offered online or parts of it are offered in a almost a hybrid fashion where you do some classes online, some on campus, and so they'd have to understand where that campus is. In some cases, res- residencies are required that They'll have to travel in to specific locations once or um, twice a year to be able to fulfill that requirement, but then the bulk of their work is done online. So they just really need to understand those expectations. The biggest thing is just really understanding what career path you want to take, what are the degrees that align to that, so then looking for those programs, and then making sure that the, uh, the format of how it's offered really aligns to what your schedule allows and your lifestyle allows. Now, I'm curious to hear, we talked a little bit about the importance of, of scheduling and, and good habits and, and whatnot to actually you know, do the work and make the time. Do you have any other perspective on how, you know, particularly folks who, who are kind of doing double duty with, or triple duty with the, the family and work and, and education at once, to, when it comes to the actual you know, studying, learning, knowledge, retention stuff, how can people really make the most of, of a given hour that they've dedicated to, to maximize retention and, and brain expansion? Sure. We always recommend look at first what the outcomes are for the week. So what are the key things you're supposed to be learning for the week? And then quickly scan what are the materials that will support that. And then you know what you need to get started with. But chunking up the time is important because you can, especially if somebody who's busy with work all day, chunking up the time is important and then taking notes because that's how you retain. You're rewriting what you've just heard and almost summarizing it. But then for us too is because our um, a bulk of our students are working, we tell them now go what you've just learned, go pay attention to what you see at work and try to apply some of these things at work because putting it to practice is really another reinforcement of learning. And so they come back and share then that in the classroom through their discussions of, hey, I tried that. This is what happened. Uh, Working with people, other members on a team also helps because it's reinforcing some of the conversations and learning and each person picks up something different. And then we always recommend try to share what you've learned with somebody else. Try to teach them, whether it's another student or another person at work. Um, So you're reinforcing the information over periods of time. But the biggest thing is chunking it up and then really trying to capture key messaging or notes. And with some people do it on an iPad with um, a pen that they can write with and capture those notes. Some will do it on just pen and paper traditional style of learning, take a notebook and a pen and write it down. So it just it depends on how much time somebody has each day and what their learning style is. And we've seen a variety of things work for students. Yeah, I dig that when it comes to getting your own experience and applying the learning to that experience, then bringing the experience back to the learning. And, and I think Cal Newport said, and we'll have him on the show one of these days, 
Like, hey, if you can teach it, if you can explain it, if you can summarize it, then you know it. And, yep. <laughs> and by, by the process of, of pulling that back out of your brain, uh, you are, are, are really making the learning uh, stick and, and sink in you know, all the more. Absolutely. Well, we talked about a, a few tips here. I'd say if you had to prioritize or, or say like as close as possible to the one thing or top tip or, or most leveraged thing learners can do to succeed here, you know, what would it be? I would definitely go back to the plan and then setting maybe many milestones because it can be overwhelming when you're doing a degree program because it can take several years depending on how many transfer credits you bring in. So creating like small milestones of things you can check off a list, like maybe it's every course you do something specific to celebrate that. Maybe it's grab a cup of coffee and celebrate one more class closer to graduation. Um, So it's the schedule and the plan that's important. And then making sure you celebrate the accomplishments along the way, because that keeps you energized and motivated to continue to move forward. I would say the other one too, that we often talk to our students about is balance. Like you still have to live your life. And so you still, you don't want to cram and take up every weekend and do your homework. You need that balance and that separation um, and reprieve to be able to take in more information. So we tell them it's important to still do some fun things or things they're passionate about in between so that they're not just trying to work and then go to school and then don't have any of that break from some of that time that your brain has to take to process and take things in. So those are probably the key ones. I dig that. And the celebration, you know, it, it could be a small one and, and it's powerful. We, we chatted with the BJ Fogg about forming habits and, and how critical uh, doing a, a little bit of a celebration, even if it's just, yes, you know, yep. a, a moment <laughs> of, uh, that, that totally counts and, and is worth something. So right. very cool. Well, Doris, tell me anything else you really want to make sure to to highlight or mention or share before we shift gears and talk about some of your favorite things. So I would say, because I often hear from people, oh, I don't know, I think I might be too old or it's too late for me to go back to school or do something new or try to take another class. I would say it's not too late for anyone. I mean, we've seen a wide range of people and um, from experience to age come back and explore different certificates or programs. And that's important because things keep changing. I mean, and they're changing at a faster rate than they've ever changed. We've seen industries completely transform. And so investing in yourself and really taking the time to learn new skills, try new things, take some risks is an incredible learning opportunity. And you learn about yourself during that process too. But the best thing is you're prepared for some of those changes that are coming and it helps you stand out when you want to go take that next step. Right on. Thank you. All right. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Sure. It's one that comes up often and I try to live this um, philosophy. 20 years from now, you will you will be more disappointed by things you didn't do than the ones you did do. So it's important for me to really, things that I'm passionate about, just to try them. Don't let fear get in the way. But it's true. You only have so much time and so you got to make the most of it. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Anything around women and leadership. Um, I feel like I've had a lot of... Um, women invest in me and help me get to where I am today. And I feel like it's my obligation to give back. So I read a lot about how to help and support women that are trying to grow um, career paths. So I'd say anything in that area. I don't have one specific one. Okay. And how about a favorite book? I love to read. So I probably read about two to three books a month. But my most two recent favorite ones is Five Dysfunctions of a Team. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Oh, yeah. Pat Lencioni. Oh, yes. And I've even done a study with my team because there's so many nuggets of really good um, information there. And then the one that I'm still in the process of reading is called Own It 
and really about how to embrace what you offer and really leverage that and your strengths um, to carve your path. Oh, cool. And how about a favorite tool that helps you be awesome at your job? I love my Kindle app because I can read on the go. I travel a lot, so I can read anywhere um, that I either find myself delayed on a plane, waiting in line. But I also love any sort of app. So I get my news from news apps on my iPhone, quickly get, you know, key nuggets of what's happening in the world. So I'm probably an app junkie. <laughs> oh, that's cool. You know, we had Laura Vanderkam on the show who said that she read <laughs> all of War and Peace primarily from the Kindle app on her iPhone. <laughs> oh my goodness, I have not done that. That I have not done. <laughs> she said War and Peace is actually so bite-sized, it lends itself to do so, which shows that I did not know how War and Peace was structured. <laughs> I have not attempted to read it, but cool. And how about a favorite habit? I would say I, well, I don't know if it's a favorite habit, but it's a habit. I have a hard, uh, sometimes a hard time kind of like getting my mind to stop. So I keep a notebook next to my bed and some of my best ideas have come from what I've captured in the middle of the night because I just couldn't sleep. So I got it on paper and then I was fine. And then I took that the next morning. I'm like, this is brilliant. And then I take it and apply it. So I would say just carrying a notebook all the time, even next to my bed at night so I can capture any thought that comes up at any moment. Oh, excellent. And is there a particular nugget or piece of Doris wisdom that you share often that really seems to connect and resonate with people when you do so? Yeah, I think this is one that my team would probably affirm too. I've heard them even repeat it is assume right intentions. We work with a lot of different personalities and experiences. And they're, I mean, because we work at such a fast pace that things happen. And if you assume right intentions, you get to the source of what truth is faster than trying to assume that somebody's trying to get in your way or block what you're trying to do. And everybody relationship wins as a result of that. And you learn some things that way. Certainly. And Doris, if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? I would say LinkedIn is probably the best one. And I'm starting to use Twitter more, but LinkedIn is probably where you can see some of the things I post or some of the things that are important to me, but they can also reach out to me and messaging there. Lovely. And do you have a final challenge or call to action you'd issue to folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? I would say change is inevitable. So learn to embrace it and make the most out of life. All right. Well, Doris, thanks so much for this. Good luck with your your vast spans of responsibility and pursuing your dream of attending all the, the sports finals and all you're up to. Thank you. I appreciate the time. I really appreciate Doris's take when it comes to combining and synergizing the learning you're picking up from a classroom environment to a work environment and sharing what you're seeing at work in the classroom and in the classroom at work and in both ways reinforcing what you know and sharing the good stuff. So a helpful way to get that learning flowing multiple ways. And I hope you do that with the podcast episode. You share with your coworkers, hey, here's something cool and helpful I heard and found. And then you know in your work, oh, this is just like they said in the podcast. And then you get that great reinforcement and knowledge going. And again, if you want to check out the show notes or transcript or links to items we've referenced, that's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F332. And if you haven't already, I hope you'll push our subscribe button. If you do so, you hear from our next guest. It's Mr. Greg Williams, the master negotiator who has a just delightfully musical voice. I think you'll enjoy hearing his pro tips on, on being a bit more persuasive. Hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.